We all have questions. Questions about culture, relationships, science, people, death, life, religion, politics, ethics, and God. And where do we go with these questions? Our smartphones. But what about the questions our devices just don't know the answers to? Am I a good person? Bringing up your search history. Wait, 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 no, no, no. What does Eucharist mean? Euchre is a common card game from... No, 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 no. What does Eucharist mean? Bob Euchre is an actor and former Major League Baseball player. Where do babies come from? You should ask your mom that. Don't seek answers from your device. Bring your questions here. And yes, you can ask that. Well, hey there, Heritage. I want to welcome you, all of you across the network, our Bettendorf family, Kiwani men, those tuning in online, as well as all of you here at Rock Island. It's great to be with you. Having wrapped up our Psalm Summer series and even last weekend spent some very intentional time in worship and prayer, we're now set in position to step into our fall series, a conversation we're calling, Can I Ask That? And I'd like to just start by show of hands of how many people have ever searched their cell phone, their smartphone, for an answer to a question. Raise up your hand if you've ever done that before, Bettendorf getting them up. Yeah, we do it. You see, we do it. Now, but before we had these, way back, we would go to libraries to get answers to questions. Before Wikipedia, we had encyclopedias that sat on shelves. And before Google, we had goofy relatives that answered our questions. And for that reason, I spent many years eating the toast crusts to get hair on my chest because Uncle John said that's what would happen. Before Google, we had goofy relatives. But these days, we ask Alexa, and we ask Google, and and we ask Siri. Every time we say, hey, Siri, there's an opportunity for us to ask a question. She comes online and she says, how may I help? I'm listening. And and we have this opportunity to get information. And sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not. You know, Apple actually says that at one point they said they had about a billion requests of Siri every day, which is more than 99,000 a minute. We We can ask Siri, we can ask our cell phone for an answer to the question. And sometimes it's it works out well, sometimes it's a great answer, and sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes it doesn't work out because there's the harder questions in life. So our series, Can I Ask That, is positioning us to dig into and walk through some of the harder questions in life. Positioning us to ask the divine rather than ask a device. Now in our preparation for this series, we invited all of us to identify the questions that are on our hearts about God and life. Invited our church family to step into that, and we got a huge response. We got like 200 different questions. And I want to thank you for leaning into that. Thanks for being part of it. It's a fantastic response. All kinds of subjects, topics, and interests. But as I read through them, I could see curiosity. I could see sincere interest. I could see even this almost honest inquiry. At the same time, reading through some of the questions, I recognize there's pain and sorrow in some of them. There's confusion and frustration. 
even in some of the more snarky questions we got. <laughs> I get it. I understand. But that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this four-week journey. But it doesn't take long to realize we can't answer 200 questions in four sermons. <laughs> We're not even going to try. But as we prayed over and read through them, we, we did two things. First, we began to pray and ask God to begin to answer your questions already. That he would show up in your quiet times, in your Bible reading, in your prayer times, and by the Holy Spirit and his word, he would already begin to lead you to his answers and lead you to himself. We've been praying for that to happen and for him to even still use these times as well. But we also realize that some of the questions you've asked, we cover in our Discover classes and our Explore opportunities. And I encourage you to get online or use your worship folder to get more information about those opportunities that are ahead. But when we look at the reality of 200 questions, we can't cover them all, which gets us to the second thing we did. As we looked at those questions, we began to see reoccurring patterns and themes in the questions that we received. There were just reoccurring curiosities and questions that started to fit in groups and themes. And, and it's our intent to use the Can I Ask That series to focus on those repeating questions, those repeating themes, to do our best to answer those things. We don't have all the answers, but we want to lean into the questions that you have out of those themes. And today, we're actually going to get into two specific arenas. And we're starting with the lighthearted subjects of heaven and hell. How about that? So are you ready for this? Just turn to somebody next to you and say, buckle up, buttercup, because we're about ready to get in involved on this. And we're going to start by looking at the subjects of heaven. We'll put some clouds in there, but then also the reality of hell. And we'll put some flames around hell. Heaven and hell. We received a lot of questions about heaven and hell. Do they exist? Where do they exist now? Where do they exist next? How do you get into either space? When you show up in either space, what's the dynamic? Who will you know? Who will you recognize? How old are you when you get there? Are you married in this space? Some of you want to be married for eternity. Some of you do not. When are your family dynamic? If you've been divorced, does it get reconciled in that space? Which parent do you see? How does that all work? And how many dogs are there actually in heaven? <laughs> Listen, lots of great questions. We don't have all the answers, but today I want to get into some of them. See, many people have speculated about the dynamics of heaven and hell. Some of the more common thinking is that heaven is filled with angels wearing white togas and, and wings and skipping along clouds. And, and hell has this mischievous, red, pointy-eared person with a pitchfork who may or may, they may sit on our left and right shoulder in an image like this and tempt us one way or the other or draw us one way or the other. But that imagery, that imagery underestimates both. It underestimates the good and glory of heaven. And it underestimates the brokenness and tragedy of hell and the power that's represented in both. See, none of us have been to either place yet. But I think if we're honest, sometimes I think we feel life gives us a glimpse into both heaven and hell. And the subject of heaven and hell is not really a subject that Alexa or Siri can handle, which is why we're turning to the Bible. See, we're a people who live under the premise that God exists. And then he, he speaks to us through his word. 
And when it comes to the subject of heaven and hell, these, this is an issue of faith. And so we're turning to scriptures and we're starting this series, can I ask that, in the subject of heaven and hell. And there are boatloads of information about heaven and hell in scripture. And I encourage you to get into your Bible, start reading, start doing your own research through the course of, the, of each week. Do it on your own. But for our purposes today, our time today, we're going to focus specifically on what Jesus said about heaven and hell. See, heaven is Jesus' home. And it's the home of all of those who follow him. And what's interestingly enough about this is that Jesus actually described very little about the specifics of heaven. He spoke a lot more about eternal life and how to get to heaven than he ever talked about the actual place. Yet he affirmed its existence, that heaven exists. And when it comes to that question, do heaven and hell exist? It's author and theologian C.S. Lewis that best captures, I think, a statement that helps frame this for us. Here's what he said. The fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. Oh man, that, he is spot on. There's deep truth in the reality that the yearning and longing you and I feel in this world that we try to satisfy with the things of this world, but they never really gets there. That itch that just quite get, can't get scratched is because we're made for another world. That, that earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. That reality sits in our hearts and minds. And although Jesus didn't describe heaven in great detail, he did refer to it. One of the occasions he did was in a manner where he was trying to comfort his disciples right before he was arrested and then ultimately crucified. And it's in this space that he talks about heaven, and it's in John 14. I want to take a look at it right now. This is what Jesus said. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Although light on the details about the specific place, Jesus was very clear in acknowledging the existence of heaven and hell. He spoke about them both as very real, literal places that serve as the eternal dwelling of our souls. And which one we end up in, Jesus said, is determined by a choice that we get to make. Every one of us, all people have to make a choice, and that choice would determine their eternal destiny. But with the words that Jesus spoke, recorded in John 14, he actually confirms two things for us. He confirms that heaven exists and that it is the dwelling place of God. It is his father's home, his father's house. It exists and God lives there. Now, this is not the only time that Jesus talked about heaven. In fact, he references God dwelling in heaven 19 different times in Scripture. Many of them are in the book of Matthew. I just want to point to two of them, and, and there's some, a couple others in your note guide as well as these. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in where? Heaven. In heaven. It exists and it's the dwelling place of God. He goes on to say later in Matthew, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny 
before my Father who is in heaven. Heaven exists and God lives there. Now let me just pause for a moment and frame the conversation with this next statement, which happens to be your first fill in a note guide. Here's the reality. Uncertainty today can have a ripple into eternity tomorrow. Uncertainty today can have a ripple into eternity tomorrow. Heaven and hell exist, and therefore it requires a choice to receive and believe what Jesus has said and who God is or not. Look, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to God, when it comes to anything and everything they ever said or did, it is an invitation to all or nothing. It is not a la carte. It is not an invitation to pick and choose what we want to believe in it about Him. It is an invitation to believe Him. And if we find ourselves in a dynamic where we skip out or pass on any one thing that Jesus said, is to in reality position us to really pass on everything He said, including who He was. Now listen, I'm not saying there isn't room for growth, there isn't room for learning, there isn't an opportunity for us to realize something we didn't realize before. I'm saying in the moments where we see what Jesus said, and we, and we out of our understanding of that, reject it. We say, I don't believe that, but I believe this. When we reject or abandon any one thing about what Jesus said, we're in, in essence indirectly rejecting and abandoning all of it. And we say, I believe that, but I don't believe this. We're all to be saying he's not our Lord because it's not an invitation to pick and choose what we believe about him. It's an invitation to believe everything, he, everything that he is, everything and about who he is and what he has said. It's an invitation to believe him. And he says, heaven and hell exist and it's the dwelling place of God. So let's get back into understanding that heaven and hell because they exist, ultimately requires a choice from us, and uncertainty today can lead into a ripple into eternity tomorrow. Now, I want to acknowledge we'll never have all the answers in this life. We're limited, and God is not. His ways are higher than our ways. So that puts us in a space where there are things we don't know, don't understand, can't wrap our head around, and it creates a gap between us and God and our understanding. And that gap is a place where we're to step by faith. Scripture defines faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what this space is, is to be filled with, faith. And the Can I Ask That series is not designed to remove or, limit the, or eliminate this space or this gap, but to position us with the handholds to, to come to Him and to find Him in the complexities and the questions of life. To really get into a space where we're certain in the uncertainty. And we can believe. So let me just take a moment and frame a bit more about this concept of, of heaven and hell. Because the truth is, we are both physical and spiritual beings. We have a body and we have a soul. So we are physical and we are spiritual. Heaven and hell are, in essence, extreme opposites. Heaven represents the context of absolute holiness. God is holy. It is His dwelling. It is the place of holiness. And so, in contrast, we could say that hell is the opposite, of, and it, is, it represents unholiness. And the reality is that there is a gap and a separation between them. The difference between what exists here and what exists here is this thing we know as sin. 
And unfortunately, my friends, we've all got it. Romans 3.23 says, For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We, we are people marked by sin in, in nature and practice. We've all messed up. The wonderful, beautiful thing about it is that God, out of His love, the love of God, sent Jesus into this world to live and die and rise again so that our sin debt could be paid. And we, when we believe in our heart and profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we can be saved. Oh, praise Him. We can be saved, and He then gives us life. It is life that is relevant now in the physical world as well as the spiritual world. And it's, but it's not just life here and now. It is life eternal. This is what it means to, to build a foundation on Jesus and to be on a trajectory towards heaven. And when we step into relationship with God through Jesus, it puts us on this journey of increasingly moving towards holiness. Jesus positions us to be able to live into that, and the Holy Spirit empowers us now to live that way. This is the reality for every one of us. Each and every one of us have some spot on this diagram where we exist. And the reality is this life now has a next in eternity. It has an eternal destiny. Jesus positions us in it. The Holy Spirit empowers us even now to live it. Now, we can find a lot of information about heaven in Scripture, heaven and hell, and, and get pretty deep on it. And I actually want to go really deep and really theological right now in the next two fill-ins as we talk about heaven and hell a bit more. Get really deep. Are you ready? I'm, look at me. Focus with me on this. Here's the reality. Heaven is awesome. Heaven is what? It's awesome. It not only exists, it's awesome. Everything about heaven is awesome. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome. Parents and grandparents, you're welcome. That song is now stuck in your head. But here's the deal. Every time you hear it now, you will not think about Legos. You will think about heaven. <laughs> You will think about the fact that heaven is awesome. And we don't know everything about heaven, but Scripture is very clear, very clear that it is a place of peace and joy and reward. Scripture tells us there is reward, there is treasure, and there is joy in heaven. Let's just, let's just stick back in Matthew again. Here's what Jesus says about this. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Listen. There is reward in heaven, which tells us that what we do here connects there. That this life here impacts that life there. There is reward in heaven when we live according to his principles, under his authority. Now, Jesus also talks about not storing up treasure here, but in heaven. Not storing up here where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasure in heaven. So again, while we live here has an impact there. It's connected. And it's not just connected for our gain. It's connected in relationship, even in the context of parties. There are parties in heaven when the right things happen here. Jesus talked about it. It's captured in Luke. Here's what he said. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have not strayed away. There is a party in heaven. What we do here has a ripple into eternity. It connects. Heaven is awesome. Heaven is awesome. Which positions us to actually, though, step into the next reality that 
Hell is not. <laughs> Heaven is awesome. Hell is not. It's not. Now, we can, we can find a lot of clear details and description about heaven in Scripture, but not quite as many about hell. Yet Jesus spoke about it. He actually, he actually spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And he gave us sufficient detail and warning to understand that it's not awesome. It's not awesome. And it's a place... We would never want us or anybody else to ever go. He describes it as a a place of destruction, a place of fire and flame, a place of condemnation and perishing. It is not awesome. Now, what's interesting is that Matthew records more about Jesus' teaching on hell than any other gospel writer, which isn't too surprising because Matthew, in how he's writing the Gospel of Matthew, is about communicating God's kingdom. So it makes sense. But there are nine specific uh, recordings of Jesus talking about hell in Matthew, and there's like three for Mark and Luke and none in John. But in that context, and how Jesus described it, heaven is awesome and hell is not. Now one common question that we've received is centered around how can a loving God send innocent people to hell? Well, the shorter answer is he doesn't. He doesn't. There are two things that you need to understand to be able to wrap your head around what I just said. First is that none of us are innocent. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sin nature and sin practice. We fall on the lower end, the unholy end of the spectrum, and we are in need of rescue. All of us. Now, I say that with the understanding that we we hold to the belief that the unborn, that those who have not yet willfully sinned, those who have not reached an age of accountability, or those who do not have the mental capacity to choose, fall under the grace and mercy of God. Yet for everybody else, for the rest of us, the reality that we are sinful in nature and sinful in practice positions us to be in need of a Savior whom we need to choose to follow. And that reality gets us to the second point, that God doesn't send people to hell. He allows them to go when they don't choose to receive his gift of rescue. Just as he allows us to come and to choose to come, he allows us to choose not to come. Don't blame God for people going to hell. It's not his sin. It's ours. The reality is that he allows us to choose The difference in what we choose is one path is based on our own sin and on our own. The other is one dependent upon salvation in Jesus. Jesus as the Son. And if you're someone who finds yourself unsure about which eternal destiny you're heading toward, you can actually know today, you can choose a relationship with Jesus that puts you on trajectory towards heaven in a simple conversation, a prayer. The back of the note, God gives you that instructions, those steps, and you can step into that even now and receive the gift of of, that gift of eternal life. Because hear me, eternal life is not a gift from God. It is the gift of God. And we can have life in Jesus through the cross when we identify ourselves in him. 
Now, I understand at this point some of you may be asking, well, okay, who really cares? I mean, I get it. One eternal place stinks and one is great, super. But it's, it's eternity. I mean, it doesn't have much to do with now. In fact, I would much rather live my life doing what I want to do in here and now and let the proverbial chips fall where they may down the road. If that's your thinking, listen to me for a second. Eternity is not a bunch of time. It's timeless. It's forever. Think about it this way. Life starts at conception. Nine months later, we're born. So we're an infant, and then we grow to be a toddler, and then we're a child, and then we're the, a young adult, a juvenile, and then uh, an adult, and then we're parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, and we live this life of 80, 90 to 100 years just filled with all kinds of experiences over that time period. And if God allows us to live 90 years, that's like 800,000 hours. <laughs> we get to live in this space. And it may seem like a lot, but maybe it doesn't. Yet here's the thing. What we do in this life ripples into the next. Think about it this way. If this string represented time, then a life that when you were born, we, we grow, we go to school, we graduate, we get a job, we get married, have kids, have grandkids, maybe great-grandkids. We live that 80, 90, 100-year thing, and then life ends. And then we step into eternity. See, this, this spot here represents that 80, 90, 100-year window. And after we live that life, we step into eternity. Why does that matter? Because eternity is forever. Check this out. Eternity, people, hang on. Why does it matter? Because eternity is forever. And what we do in this life. impacts this one. The point of this life is not this life. It's not the here and now, it's the next. And that should change the way we live, the way we think, what motivates us, how we interact with other people, how we interact with God, even the personal choices that we make. The point of this life is not the here and now, it's the next. And it's forever. You know, you may choose to sit back in the conversation about heaven and hell and say, well, you know what? I'm not going to decide on that until I get some clarity on a couple of things. I really want to know what the dynamic is there. I really want to know who I'm going to see. I kind of want some answers to the questions. And quite honestly, those answers are less significant than figuring out where you want to spend it, which ultimately connects to how you, understanding how you get there. And that even connects to understanding how you and I are living in this life now and how it's affecting the eternal destinies of those around us. You want to know what the worst thing is about, have, about hell? 
the worst thing about hell is total separation from God. See, the, the longing we feel in this life now, that's the desire for something else that C.S. Lewis talked about that isn't given or is solved on earth, it's like a longing for something more, that, sol- that thing is kind of somewhat solved by faith now and, and, and the Holy Spirit and, and even creation and scripture. We kind of get that itch scratched a little bit. But in, but in hell, it's devoid of God. It's devoid of relationship with him. And what we are created for, that, that desire and longing we have, goes unfulfilled forever. That's the worst thing, that complete separation from him. Now, I get talking about heaven and hell and death can start to stir up feelings of fear. I mean, truth is, every day we're stepping closer to death, no matter how long or near that is from us at this point. But we don't have to fear death because we're made for another world. And death is not an end. Death is a beginning. It's the beginning of eternity. And where we choose to spend it matters. And how we live in this life frames that reality. We only need to fear death if we actually love the things of this world more than we actually love him. Or even don't have the son, more importantly. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about who he was, and, and one of the disciples, John, captured uh, a summary of who Jesus is and what it means to follow after him. Here's what it says in 1 John 5, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's having the Son. Listen, uncertainty in this life can ripple into the implications for eternity tomorrow. And the reality is that it's the Son that makes all the difference. It's Jesus. With the Son, there is certainty. With Jesus, we can have a hope and a future. With Jesus, there is life and life to the full. In Jesus, there is salvation. There is no uncertainty in the Son. Uncertainty today can have a ripple into eternity tomorrow, but there is no uncertainty in him. There's no uncertainty in the son. When we lay hold of him, we have the promise of life, life to the full and life eternal. Now, one of the other questions that's come up in the, in the can I ask that list is can you lose your salvation? And it's a really common question. And to be able to answer it, you need to understand a continuum. A continuum that I would say over here has the idea of eternal security, and over here has the idea of eternal insecurity. And I want to talk in extremes so you can understand the concept of what I'm trying to communicate. The reality is over here in this eternal security context, we, we feel like because we've got the ticket to go to heaven, we can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. Over here, we live in a context where we feel like everything we do can compromise our, our, our salvation and we can actually just lose it every day based on how good we did. And, and in this space, it's marked by fear. This space is marked by pride and arrogance. The, the reality is, here's the answer to the question. Can you lose your salvation? No. No, you cannot fall out of the grace and mercy of God. You cannot wake up one day and go, oh, I lost that because of the thing I did yesterday. That's not how it works. 
to wake up and say, I didn't do good enough yesterday, so now my salvation's gone. Our salvation is based in the holiness of the Son. It's not based in our holiness. And we can't accidentally lose that. But I'm going to tell you this, we can walk away from it. We can walk away. In one season, we can choose to give lordship to Jesus, and then we can turn around and, and reject that and walk away. We can walk away. We don't ever stumble out of salvation, but we can walk away. And the scripture tells us, actually, that it, it would be better to have never known than to have known and walked away. And if you or someone you know has done that, has walked away, I want you to understand, you or they can come back. They can come back through the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. They can come back. But if you find yourself on either end of that, that continuum, if you find yourself over here in that eternal insecurity posture, always doubting whether you still have your salvation or not, I want you to quit asking for what you already have. You're secure in Jesus. You can't lose it. But you find yourself over here thinking, you know what? I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm good to go. It doesn't matter what I, what I do. I want you to quit thinking your rebellion doesn't matter. That your defiance doesn't have an impact. That your rejection of his authority doesn't matter. You cannot lose your salvation. But just as we can come to him, we can turn around and walk away. Let's just kind of go to so what for a moment. God cares about the questions, all the questions you guys threw our way. He cares about them, and he already knows them. And he, he answers them, and he can answer them in this time, or he can answer them in your quiet time. He doesn't give answers for every question, and we don't know the answers to all the questions. Part of that is, we as humans, we're limited. We're not smart enough to, to take everything about God and define and confine it. But Jesus said that we can ask, seek, and knock. And in the tension of the questions and in the tensions of the unknown, I want to once again just kind of remind us as we step into this series to never forfeit what we want most. Never forfeit what you want most deeply, what you want that is not just passing fancy, but that you desire more deeply, what you want for eternity. Never forfeit what you want most for what you want now. It's never do it. It's, it's always wrong. It's always a mistake. Never forfeit what you want most for what you want now. It's always a mistake. Now, we do it. We do it in saving money for something, and then we impulse buy, and that money's gone. Or we're on a diet, and we're doing really well, but then we have that extra dessert. We do it. We forfeit what we want most for what we want now. We even do it in our relationships. We do it in purity. We do it with sex. But it's always a mistake, and we always regret it. Never forfeit what you want most for what you want now. That's solid advice. But in those choices that we make, ultimately God allows us to choose, but our choices have a ripple. And understand that Jesus paid the price for our path to heaven. He paid the price for our path to heaven. We pay the price for our path to hell. Without Him, we're on our own. Without building our life on Him as foundation, we're on our own. But with Him, He's paved the way. He's paid this price, we pay this one. Again, don't blame God. It's our sin. Heaven exists, and it is God's dwelling place. It's, it's awesome. And one day we will all step into eternity. 
And what we do in this life impacts what we experience in the next. You may ask, how, do we, how can we know for sure? Well, we can't depart from faith. There's an element of faith in this whole thing. But I'll tell you this. A man by the name of Jim Elliot once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It is never a foolish action to forfeit the things of this life for the things of the life yet to come. Because this life is this much. The life yet to come is forever. There's nothing foolish in forfeiting and surrendering as people with citizenship of heaven eagerly awaiting a savior from there. Here's what Jesus said about himself in this conversation. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus, in the Son we have life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one way to God, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, as a people not yet there, a people still here, preparing for the next, perhaps we would do well to follow the example of, of Paul as he wrote in Philippians chapter 3. Here's what he said. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we are called heavenward. In him there is life. In him there is hope. We know from Jesus that heaven is real. We know that it is the eternal dwelling place uh, for, for those who follow him in relationship to God. We know that it's a very real place of rest and peace. It's a place of perfect communion with our creator and our savior. And we know that Jesus is preparing that place. We know that he is preparing heaven for us, but we also know he is preparing us for heaven. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed into his image as we live in this life now, knowing that there's a next. So I want to ask you this question. What do you need to do today in light of eternity? What do you need to do today in light of eternity? What do you, how do you need to live differently in your relationship with others, your relationship with God, or even in your personal decisions you're making on your own? Once eternity is set for a life, it's set. So what do you need to do today in light of eternity? Most of us live life as if the point is this, when in reality it's not. It's not the here and now, it's the next. It's the forever, it's the eternity portion of it. And when we let go of the things of this life, and we forget what is behind, and we lay hold of Jesus, we receive life. It is full life. When we choose to give him authority, we experience salvation. We can't lose it, and we can step into life now and next. Full life. The full power of God is brought to bear in our life when we step into relationship with Jesus. 
What do you need to do today in light of eternity? For some of you, it's letting go of the sin you're struggling in. It's, for some of you, it's stepping into trusting Jesus for the first time. For others, it's stepping into a new level of freedom, a new level of dependence, a new level of desperation that you'll experience greater and greater holiness as you allow the Holy Spirit to transform you out of the life that you have in the Son. But do it confidently. Do it boldly. What do you need to do in light of eternity today? In a moment, I'm going to pray, but then we're going to step into a, a time of worship and song. And that song is a specific opportunity for each one of us to reflect on where we're at in this process, what we need to do today in light of eternity. It may have specifically, it may have to do with you and where you sit. It may have to do with those you know around you that, that your life should be investing in a way where they can experience all of this. What do you need to do in light of eternity? Take the time to reflect in that space. Talk with God. Build the foundation of your life on Jesus so that you experience the fullness of life. He's worthy of every sacrifice. He's worthy of all of the investment that, that is required in this space of releasing and surrendering and yielding and giving him authority. When we do, we experience life as it was intended, life to the full in Jesus the Son. But it's a choice. And how we live in this life the point is not the here and now, it's actually the next. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to step into worship. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the fact that your great love, even in our brokenness, even in our sin nature and sin practice, your great love has pursued us. That through Jesus, we can have life. Through Jesus, we can forget what is behind and we can strain towards what is ahead and we can press on towards the prize you call us toward heavenward in, Christ Jesus. So, Father, I pray that in these next few moments you speak to each one of us about what we need to do today in light of eternity. May we live in a manner that allows your purpose and glory to prevail. May we live in a manner where we understand it's not about now, it's not just about now, it's about next. And may we be willing, may we have the courage to step in whatever that next step is, relationship with you, a relationship with someone else, letting go of the things that get in the way. God, use these next few moments as we worship because you're worthy of it all. Take every part of us and allow us to experience the fullness of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Everybody said, amen.